0: Welcome to Socially Distant, Spiritually Close, a podcast dedicated to exploring the biggest spiritual questions of this complex and challenging moment. I'm your host, Rabbi Michael Knopf.
1: The traditional Torah reading for the first day of Pesach is uh, taken from Parshat Bo, uh, from Exodus chapter 12. Um, and I'm just going to read uh, a little bit of it so that we uh, that we get our bearings, and then I'm going to bring in uh, our uh, co-host for the day. Uh, and I'm reading from the Eitz Chaim Chumash, which has the JPS translation. Uh, and so, if you have a Chumash near you, you're welcome to follow along. It's uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 21, uh, and it begins. Uh, Moses then summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go pick out lambs for your families and slaughter the Passover offering. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and to the two doorposts. None of you shall go outside the door of this house until morning. For when the Lord goes through to smite the Egyptians, you will see the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, and the Lord will pass over the door, and not let the destroyer enter and smite your home. I want to point out there uh, that uh, the the word uh, that is being used in modern Hebrew for the pandemic for for COVID nineteen um, is negef, Uh and uh, the that word or that root is used at the end of that last verse um, uh, for when it says the destroyer will come in and smite your home, the verb for smite is lim Um, So the same root as, uh, as Negev, as, as, the, uh, as, as um, this current plague. You shall observe this, verse 24, you shall observe this as an institution for all time, for you and your, for your descendants. And when you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as God has promised, you shall observe this rite. And when your children ask you, what do you mean by this rite? You shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, because God passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when God smote the Egyptians, but saved our houses. The people then bowed low in homage. And the Israelites went and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. In the middle of the night, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. And Pharaoh arose in the night with all his courtiers and all the Egyptians, because there was a loud cry in Egypt, for there was no house where there was not someone dead. He summoned Moses and Aaron in the night and said, Up, depart from among my people, you and the Israelites with you. Go, worship the Lord as you said. Take also your flocks and your herds as you said, and be gone and may you bring a blessing upon me also. The Egyptians urged the people on, impatient to have them leave the country, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls wrapped in their cloaks upon their shoulders. The Israelites had done Moses' bidding and borrowed from the Egyptians objects of silver and gold and clothing. And the Lord had disposed the Egyptians favorably toward the people, and they let them have their request. Thus they stripped the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot, about 600,000 miles, thousand men on foot aside from children. Moreover, a mixed multitude went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had taken out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, since they had been driven out of Egypt and could not delay, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The length of the time that the Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430th year to the very day, all the ranks of the Lord departed from the land of Egypt. That was for the Lord a night of vigil, Hebrew, leil shimurim, to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That same night is the Lord's, one of vigil, for all the children of Israel throughout all the ages, uh, the reading for the first day of Pesach goes on to uh, verse fifty-one uh, through the end of chapter twelve. But we're going to just uh, pause there uh, because that at least uh, gives us our, our bearings and our and our thought and uh, uh, the the sense of what uh, the reading for day one of uh, Pesach calls to our mind and, and draws our attention to, um, which is. Uh, the tenth plague in the institution of that first Pesach, that first Passover, uh, and uh, I am uh, thrilled to be able to uh, welcome uh, our friend Kristen Gorin uh, to join me in conversation about uh, this, uh, about this uh, Parsha, and uh, and and about uh, any other things uh, that uh, might come to our minds. Through uh, talking about it. Um, so, we're gonna uh, have, I don't know, 15, 20 minute uh, dialogue between us, uh, and then we'll open it up for a larger conversation uh, amongst us all. So, I'm gonna unmute Kristen. Kristen, are you there?
2: Yep, I'm here.
1: Great. Hi.
2: Hi. Uh,
1: Chag Sameach.
2: Chag Sameach.
1: Uh, so, first, first, how was your Seder last night?
2: It was wonderful. Uh, just seeing people's faces over zoom was just so such a source of encouragement and um just having the chance to reflect on gratitude with the people that i was with and um think on things like that was really appreciated how was yours
1: uh i will put it this way it was not a total disaster
2: <laughs> Uh <Uh-oh. laughs>
1: um no, it was it was it was mostly good. I mean, I, I I had a hard time last night, and as I was processing it this morning, um, I, I realized that. Um, so my my kids were watching The Prince of Egypt this morning, and that movie always makes me cry. Uh, and I just like uh, just like melted into a puddle this morning, and it and it really hit me that I just love Pesach so much, uh, and. Um, and for me, it was just like a real, uh, I think I was having such a hard time last night because it was, um, there was a real sense of loss that, that I was having at, at what Pesach was, uh, um, this year. And not that it was all bad, uh, Adira's food was amazing. Um, the, the kids really enjoyed themselves. Um, we did all the steps of the Seder. So like all the pieces were there. Um, and I just kind of went off the rails when we tried, uh, at, uh, about halfway in to, we were going to zoom a portion of it with my siblings and, and their kids, um, and it just kind of went off the rails at, at the Zoom portion of the of the Seder and Akiva melted down. It was just the whole thing. Um, so uh, so uh, um, I, I not a total disaster, but uh, but also uh, um, uh, pretty good actually, um, <laughs> yeah, if I'm being honest about it. So it's interesting um,
2: that you bring up the movie The Prince of Egypt because I had sort of a totally opposite arc that you did happened with Pesach. My kids watched it about a week ago. And I was sort of in that slump about a week ago because Liam, my youngest, had these big tears in his eyes when the firstborn died and he said, mommy, are they all dead? And I just was sort of grieving with that moment, with him, with the Egyptians, with that story. And I was sort of in this like funk for a week and uh after texting with you i i decided to try to get past that um funk and try to look for the inspiration that's what you encouraged me to do over text so one of the things that i looked for you passed
1: for, over you passed over the
2: yeah. i did i did in like a week ago so I, or a couple of days ago so i was a little early um but I, I was reading about uh, Pharaoh's um, daughter who, who in an act of rebellion saved uh, baby Moses. And I read that so, uh, some people put a vase of reeds on their, on their Pesach table to sort of commemorate her act of heroism. And I didn't have reeds uh, last night, but I decided to put a vase of lavender uh, and that was just sort of my um, symbol of hope um, in the Passover story. And I just I really appreciated your uh, encouragement to sort of look for um, look for the heroes, look for the good, uh, in, in and look for the inspiration in the Passover story.
1: Well, I, I appreciate the the shout out, and that's a really beautiful tradition that I actually hadn't heard of. Uh, to put a vase of reeds at the table, and, and the, the lavender is, uh, is is a is a beautiful spin on that tradition. But I think that that's actually a good segue into talking about this uh, parsha um, and um, and the tenth plague in particular, because um, on, on the one hand, it, it, you know, it's it's uh, when you when you kind of like enter into the story, and you um, experience it not as literature, but uh, um, uh, but uh, you know as as uh, as a as a historical event, right? That that this is happening to 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 real people, right? And let's say let's say for the sake of argument that it that it was, um, not that it's not necessarily disturbing to think about it as literature um, because of how the story. Uh, how the narrator wants you to think about that, uh, action as though, um, it is this incredible miracle, um, when you're, when, when, uh, you're, you're absolutely right, that involves, um, you know, catastrophe. Um, but there is, of course, a, I think that the, the text is trying to call a sense of poetic justice, uh, for that, uh, for that moment, right? That Pharaoh, uh, uh, sought to kill uh, all of uh, the uh, Hebrew baby boys. Um, and so um, the way uh, that uh, justice is meted out to Pharaoh um, is that uh, all Egyptian firstborn uh, are, are to die in this plague. Um, I know that you spend a lot of time uh, thinking about and working on issues of justice. So let me ask you this question. Is that justice? And if not, if yes, why? If not, why not?
2: Is the death of the firstborn justice? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh, uh, wow. I, I don't think it is. Um, and I, I guess I have to sit with that for a while. Um, I, I have a hard time with sort of uh, those punitive acts, especially around death. Being viewed as justice, um, but I did come across another Midrash that said that uh, the the that the the uh, the the fathers the the leaders were actually killed by their sons in an act of rebellion against Pharaoh, therefore these sons were actually guilty of murder and an enraged pharaoh killed them because they were guilty of murder mm-hmm. and and seeing um an act of uh their heroism um in 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 responding to pharaoh's oppression um that sort of um removed the act of god's um smiting them and it made them um Sort of victims, and that's why they died. And for me, that was a little bit more comforting rather than looking at it as uh, this is what God had to do. Um, and and I, I can't see that murder as 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 just. Um, that that's really hard for me to sit with.
1: Yeah, you know, it's I, 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 that's a really powerful midrash. Um, but what it what it calls to mind to me is this question of um you know the the text says right every egyptian was impacted by this tenth plague um and you know and, and i and i wonder you know why we don't have a scene with with moses and god like we have a scene with abraham and god you know with with moses saying to god you know um uh, will you sweep away the innocent along with the guilty shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly um and so I, I wonder about that in this uh, in this passage in the scene. Um, are we to are we to understand from that that there was no such thing as an innocent Egyptian, uh, or is it um, or is it a moral failure on Moses' part not to speak out uh, on on behalf of the Egyptians that may have had no personal role in uh, in the crimes against the Hebrews? I guess the question I'm asking is, you know, what um, what is the culpability of the average person uh, in a a system of, um, of of oppression and bloodshed, right? In which they may not be participating themselves, uh, but nevertheless they are part of the system.
2: Yeah, I I think we um, I think we have to speak up, and I think I think uh, in studying um, this portion a little bit more, I saw the sort of the, the human component in this story. And I saw, um, you know, God didn't just yell down to Pharaoh to let these people go. Like he he sent Moses and he said, you know, Moses, you have to go to Pharaoh and do it. And you know, the, the, the baby Moses wasn't saved by some gush of wind, it, you know, the baby Moses was saved by Pharaoh's daughter. And there was these humans that stepped in and said, I want to do the just thing. I want to do the right thing. And I want to stand up to, to the leadership and ask them to do justice on behalf of an oppressed people. So I think we need to use that as an example. And you know, even if we're not quote unquote complicit in the injustice of you know systemic injustices in our current time, I think we do have the obligation because we are a freed people, because we are redeemed people, because we went through the exodus ourselves. And I think each Passover, we're reminded to to relive it, not just imagine we were there, but to actually relive and feel what it was like to be oppressed and feel um, what it was like to be redeemed. And I think when We feel, really feel what it's like to be redeemed and the joy that we feel from redemption. I think we can't but help to want to free other people. And I think we then have to speak out when we see oppression because it is literally from that gut level experience of being enslaved and that gut level experience of being freed that we absolutely have to speak up.
1: Right, you know, and and, and what that, you know, calls to my mind is, you know, we, we, we don't see a scene in the Exodus story of, of Moses challenging God's justice, but we also don't see, you know, a popular uprising among the Egyptians against the cruel cool policies of, of Pharaoh. Right. And so there 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 is, I think, a sense that um, that the that that the average Egyptian could have done more to stop the oppression of the Israelites and and didn't. Right. Yeah, that we have like individual acts of heroism, you know, Pharaoh's daughter, the, the midwives, um, you know, maybe that midrash they said, maybe there were some uh, uh, um, some some uh, men within uh, Egyptian society that were uh, that that were trying to stand up to uh, to the system of, of oppression. Uh, but uh, but by and large, um, the you know, the uh, Egyptians either felt like they couldn't do anything about it. Or deliberately didn't do anything about it.
2: Yeah, I th- I think it's easy also um, to to say that um, because I I think that sometimes we all get uh, comfortable in in our freedom, and um, you know we we would think we would want to be the heroes. But what do we do today when we see modern day oppression? Do we just sort of? go along like the other Egyptians, you know, I'm not really affected by this. I'm not really enslaved, but you know, I I like the perks of slavery. Um, And I think that's a lot of times what history shows with colonialism and and, um, a lot of other things is that, you know, the people who have the benefits of the slavery um, tend to ignore the impact that slavery has on society as a whole.
1: You know, I want to I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about the like the the plague dimension of this uh, uh, portion um, because as 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 we all know, we're we're uh, living through a, a modern day plague right now, um, and uh, there you know the 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 text describes um, uh, this plague um, being targeted right. It, it, it is going to impact only Egyptians. Um, you know, assuming that the Israelites, uh, um, you know, stay in their homes so that they don't catch it, right? Uh, they they paint blood on their doorposts um, so that it passes over them. I love that image of like, you got to stay home, or otherwise the plague is going to catch you too. Um, that that feels uh, that that uh, that I have all the feels for that. Um, but but there is something powerful, I think, and and unique about the idea that this plague in this portion in this story um, is. Is targeted to uh, one particular group of people, um, and uh, and that it, it impacts all of them equally, right? So whether you are a wealthy Egyptian, whether you're Pharaoh, or whether you're in the dungeon, um, whether you're a lot, you know, a cow in, in in the in the barn, it's going to impact you uh, uh, equally. Um, but we know in our time, and the, the you know the, um, the 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 data just keeps on coming in to say how. You know, COVID nineteen uh, is disproportionately impacting um, uh, those in poverty, uh, uh, those who are already, you know, on the margins, uh, um, people of color, uh, and uh, you know, we see that, you know, a lot of times with uh, with with plagues. Um, uh, I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was uh, Martin Luther King. Was some African American civil rights activist uh, said uh, that uh, when when white America catches a cold, black America gets the flu. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, we see that with, with COVID-19, uh, uh, my, our friend Roberta Sachs just wrote a column, uh, where she said, uh, that, uh, uh staying at home is a privilege, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, that there are plenty of people who are, uh, either, you know, uh, um, you know, have to go into work because they are essential personnel, have to go into work because they're on the front lines, uh, like some people who are on this call, David. Um, or, or because um, they, uh, you know, that they, they, they would, they would literally, uh, you know, lose the shirt off their back, lose the roof over their heads, lose the meal on their table, um, if they, um, if if they didn't risk themselves by, you know, getting out there and going into work despite the despite the plague. So, I'm, I that kind of um, rings out to me from this passage. I don't, I don't know um, if that. Uh, resonates with you at all in, in thinking about the this 10th plague and, and uh, its connection to this current day plague?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, in trying to see myself uh, in this Passover story, like you always um, challenge us to do, um, it occurred to me that that we won't really know if um if God is responsible for the death of the firstborn or the drowning of the Egyptian army, um, but we can know that modern-day plagues such as COVID nineteen um, are are caused by humans. And um, and and the more privilege that we have, we are able to sort of insulate ourselves um, from not being exposed to these things. You know, we can work from home. Not everybody has that option, like you said. Um, Yeah, you know. uh, and, and, Oh, go ahead. All
1: right, go ahead. No, please, please, please.
2: Oh no, I was just going to say that uh, risk the organization that that I volunteer um, with a lot. Uh, one of the things that they ask the uh, the congregations in the beginning of the year is, um, you know, what keeps you up at night, or in other words, you know, what what plagues you, and and that's how they know um, that that issues that are chosen. Um, are profoundly affecting people, and I can imagine when you when you you know when you've been laid off or you can't work from home or you know you're not having any money coming in and you're working paycheck to paycheck, you're going to be much more affected by by uh, a virus like this that is causing everybody to have to stay in their homes. And not only that, but sometimes you do have the jobs that you you know uh, you have to go into work anyway, and you're going to be more exposed. Therefore, your family's more exposed and you're more likely to have um, deadly or otherwise other health effects from this. So
1: that, that may be a good segue to ask you because you've been so deeply involved uh, in uh, and, and leading our congregational efforts uh, in connection with risk, um, to talk about what, what, what is risk's work uh, that we're in it, that we're engaged in right now, and, and how does that intersect as you see it with, um, with this modern-day plague. Well, I
2: think, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm here, I'm here. Um, I, I think that uh, risk, I think you all know, and maybe you don't, so I'll, I'll review a little bit. Um, risk is working on two issues um, this year. One of them is affordable housing and evictions, and the other one is gun violence. And um, our our way in which we are choosing to approach these issues is obviously drastically changed, um, because of COVID nineteen and not being able to have our traditional meetings, but um, everyone involved with risks also realizes that these issues are going to be even even worse because of something like COVID nineteen. Um, you know, the housing crisis already existed before, and now after COVID nineteen, we're going to have more people being possibly evicted from their homes, more people unable to pay their mortgages, more people filing for bankruptcy. Um, You know, the building affordable housing projects may or may not be, you know, poking along as they should be. Uh, And then as far as gun violence, um, you know, desperate times will call for desperate measures. And, you know, it's sort of easy to judge a person behind a gun, but you know when their family is um in a very bad state you know they may turn to things like the selling of drugs or or violence in order to to care for their families even if we don't see it as care for their families they might um so something like covid-19 you know uh, a lot of times would would potentially take our focus off of many things but in reality something like covid-19 um Will just make these problems worse. So Risk is continuing to work on um, these issues. We're, uh, we are, we, are we, ha- we sort of had to put a pause on um, the meeting with our elected officials for gun violence. Um, but RISC has been involved um, in uh, affordable housing and evictions for years now. And um, they are gonna continue to meet on Zoom um, with um the city council members with the mayor with uh, with everyone that's involved in that and they are still going to push for um not only more um uh, funding in the affordable housing trust fund but they're going to push for more funding than they had last year in the eviction diversion program and um, the big thing they're pushing for this year is a dedicated stream of funding. Uh, in the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, instead of having people like RISC having to go every single uh, year and ask that this this uh, be fully funded, they're asking that it, it is just there automatically uh, and, and nobody has to keep asking for it um so uh at 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 risk they they recognize that uh it is something they still have to be pursuing um despite the the a lot of attention going here because they do know that obviously if people aren't working, people are still gonna need um places to live and as far as gun violence, as soon as we can start uh meeting in person with the mayor with the police chief to explain more of um of the direction we want to head, we will be able to pick that up. But we were just so new in that, we have to put that one, unfortunately, on on the back burner a little bit, Um, but we are gonna continue with um, working with affordable housing and evictions.
1: So it's a uh, a lot of um, a lot of really important work, and and you know Richmond, as as many of us know, already has the uh, second highest eviction rate um, in the country, and and that's a complicated uh, uh, issue, and the the uh, it, it involves a lot of factors, including um a, a lack of availability of affordable uh, housing stock, um, which, like you said, I mean are problems that you know, are, are, are only going to be exacerbated. Um, one has to imagine by, you know, um, 20% unemployment. Um, what do people do, uh, when they can no longer afford their rents or their, or their mortgages because they, um, have insufficient income, you know, they, they, um, they, they, uh, you know, run out of unemployment insurance if they're able to even get unemployment insurance. Um, uh, so, uh, so it creates a real challenge. One of the things that I that I've been thinking a lot about, you know, with with risk's work um, and the Passover story, um, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about this. So, um, you know, uh, risk has a um, uh, has a, a an approach to uh, to advocacy um, that uh, that that some people have expressed to me that they find a little challenging, um, uh, which is that they um, they do direct engagement with um, with with policymakers and, and elected officials um, uh, to try to you know um, uh, uh, encourage or to demonstrate that the uh, community wants particular kinds of changes um, and to hold them accountable for uh, making those changes. Um, and some people uh, are uncomfortable with how confrontational that that feels. Um, and I'm wondering: is there anything in the uh, Exodus story that um, uh, that 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 helps you think through the um, the, the the methodology that that risk uses to uh, to both in its development of its um, uh, policy proposals uh, and also its methods for trying to uh, achieve those changes.
2: Yeah, a couple of things come to mind. Um, I remember when uh, Emily small. Uh, uh, or no, I, at the time it was Abby, she asked me, would I speak at a city council meeting? And I thought, I, I, I am totally not qualified to speak at a city council meeting. And I felt like Moses was just coming out of my mouth. Like I'm, I'm not qualified. I can't do it. Why send some, I even said, why don't we ask so-and-so? I, I was Moses. I was like, let's ask this person to do it. And it was like, no, why don't you do it? And, and I, I thought for a moment and I was like, you know what, this is my Moses moment. I am asked to do justice on behalf of a people I know are profoundly affected. And I, I have to say, yes, I am not a person that enjoys public speaking. Again, Moses coming out of my mouth. I'm, <laughs> I feel like I, 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 Moses, what he had, I think he had a stutter or some sort of speech impediment. I feel like that. I feel like I, <clears throat> I don't have the right words. And eventually it was sort of like, you know, send me, I'll, I'll do it. So I, I went and I spoke and you know, that to me, it, it really doesn't get easier, but you do, um, you do see the, the impact that it can have, um, when, when people are brave and, and, and stand up, especially when, you know, um, you know, risk has many people that are involved, many two con- twenty-two congregations, and uh, many clergy members and lay people involved. the The other aspect um, from the Exodus story that I see is, um, you know, when when Moses, you know, went to Pharaoh, you know, he didn't say, you know, can we negotiate a little bit about, you know, when you would, you know, let let my people go or you know could we um could we talk about this can we put a timeline you know le- you know he said let my people go he or maybe that's just in the movie but you no, know no,
1: he does he, he does say that
2: okay so good uh, then he my
1: analogy add pretty pleased with the cherry on top
2: <laughs> right i mean he's 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 not he's not asking in a nice way he he's he's demanding it he's demanding justice and and one of the things that um, Risk says that I think is is very profound, and I think I wish I had that quote with Martin Luther in front of me right now. But we are not; Risk is not um, creating the tension. The tension that that people talk about, and I I do agree that there is a level of confrontation, if you will. Like I I I do sort of see what people are saying, but what risk is doing is it's, it's bringing to the surface the tension that's already there. You know, when, when, Pharaoh, when, when Moses went to Pharaoh and said, Let my people go, in that moment, it, he didn't, there, there all of a sudden wasn't tension from slavery. It's all of a sudden he confronted Pharaoh with it. You know, the slaves were, were you know, in slavery before that happened. So I think risk that's what risk is doing. They're saying these are the crises that our our communities are dealing with. And they're, they're, they're demanding in a way action. And, and there are, you know, um, on that stage, when you, when, when you bring the leaders onto the stage and you say, you know, will you fund the affordable housing trust fund? You know, we, we didn't surprise them with these things. You know, they They know what we're going to ask them. We've met with them two, three, four times beforehand. And sometimes under pressure, they they feel attacked. But I feel like we all sort of feel in a different way because we're not on stage, but we should all feel uncomfortable when we're confronted with injustice. And especially, I feel like the more we ignore it, the more uncomfortable we should feel because that discomfort... And that acknowledgement that other people are, are suffering is what should propel us to want to do acts of justice.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, in hearing what you were just describing, it, it made me think of this 10th plague. And it, I don't know if this is a helpful way of thinking about it. It may only be helpful uh, with the you know, assumption that, that this is literature and not necessarily uh, uh, factual history. Uh, but um, but it but it's but it feels very similar to um, what you know people within the you alluded to Martin Luther King, people within the civil rights movement said about you know the the tactics of nonviolent resistance that met with um, a lot of uh, violence from the state, right. One thinks of bull Connor and the and the Selma marchers. Um, and uh, um, you know and, and and what people were saying is that that we weren't inviting, um, violence. We were we were just exposing the violence that was already part of the system that most people, except for people who were directly impacted by it, couldn't have otherwise seen. You know, and so the the tenth plague, the the violence, the the destruction, the death um, was already there, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, the tenth plague uh, brings it out for everybody to see. It reminds me, in a way, of. A little bit later in the book of Exodus, uh, in uh, chapter 22, if memory serves, um, that we get the law that says you you must not oppress um, a uh, a widow or an orphan or an immigrant, um, uh, and, uh, and and then got then the verse goes on to say because if you do, they will cry out to me, and I will hear their cries. And I will make it so that you, uh, so that your wives become widows and your children become orphans too, right? In other words, um, uh, you know, that, 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 uh, the, um, there's a, there's a way in which this text and and the the Passover story, the 10th plague shows to the Egyptians what it always felt like to be an Israelite, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that, that. That you are not in control of your lives, you're not in control of your bodies. Um, uh, like sometime in the night, I'm going to come and snatch your babies, just like you were able to do to, uh, or that Pharaoh was it uh, that you tolerated uh, that happened to the Israelites this whole, you know, all 400 years that they were there, right? So you now know what that looks like. You now know what that feels like. You couldn't have known it otherwise, but the Hebrews have known it for 400 years. Hmm. And I the other thing, and then maybe um uh we'll we'll open it up for people's conversations. I, I was thinking of a couple of other um a couple of passages from my from my book um uh, as uh, as you were um as you were offering those reflections, Kristen. One was about Moses um in, in the story and, and um and how you uh, uh felt in a way like like Moses when when you first got involved in risk. Um and uh I, I have this uh, uh teaching Uh, where I said, um, in her commentary on Exodus, Aviva Gottlieb Zornberg points out that Moses is a man with neither nationality nor language. The point, perhaps, is that Moses could be anyone and that anyone could be Moses. How might you treat the beggar on the street or that difficult person at work if you recognize that he or she might one day become a great liberator? And what if the redemption of an oppressed people depended ultimately on you? If anyone of any background, any nationality could be Moses, then perhaps we ought to walk through the world with the assumption that everyone we encounter is a potential Moses. Mm -hmm. And maybe, most importantly, we ought to regard ourselves as potential Moseses and fulfill our destinies. And the other uh, teaching I I thought of, which I actually shared with you uh, again the other day when we were uh, talking about our, our learning today, is this. The term Passover comes from the tradition that God killed only Egyptians during the 10th plague, passing over the homes of the Israelites and sparing their firstborn. Not an indiscriminate force within nature, the God of the Bible has will and moral discernment, deliberately distinguishing between right and wrong, good and bad, innocent and guilty, bending the arc of history toward justice. No one can know for sure if this understanding of God is factually true. We can nevertheless understand the value it imparts. The universe is amoral. It unfortunately doesn't discern between righteous and evil. History only progresses if the trajectory of justice is acted on by an outside force. As God's only creation with godlike consciousness and moral judgment, we human beings can and must be that outside force. Emulating God, we can and must help bend the arc of history toward justice. Um, so those two thoughts came to mind. I don't know, do you have any reactions to that?
2: Yeah, uh, when I was texting with Rabbi Knopf, um, I, I think that was the quote that made me ugly cry. Um, <laughs> because I, you know, you, you can get caught up in in some of the things of the Passover story. And, and uh, something like this just really takes the story of Passover and, and makes it into, into such an inspiration to want to, to stand up um, to the Pharaohs, to want to, to help people that are dealing with modern plagues. Um, and it, it, it really transformed um, Passover for me um, so much. So it like, it feels like my new favorite holiday. And I, I didn't even know that about myself. Um, and I, I, I went from sort of a strange relationship with Passover to i just realizing its profound um impact that it can have um on our lives if we if we truly see ourselves as people who who were slaved and if we truly see ourselves as people who were freed and and live in that gut level experience of slavery and freedom and then and then desired. To want to see others be freed from their plagues and and their oppression, so um, so thank you,
1: thank you. Uh, I think that this is probably a good moment to uh, open it up to our uh, to to everybody for your thoughts, your comments, your questions, um, and you are able to unmute yourself if you would like to uh, jump in the conversation.
3: Uh, I just wanted to add that uh, we talked about the uh, all the Egyptians dying. Uh, it's very typical, I think, in the Bible that you'd have these these total wipeouts, whether it was Sodom and Gomorrah, or it was when uh, when Dina was raped, and they wiped out all, all the people in that town, uh, Jericho, all these different places. So I, I almost think it might be an exaggeration, or it's just to make a point. I, I don't think that literally the, these things happen, and uh, I wouldn't read as much into it. Using
1: a modern context, Um, yeah, you're right. the The Bible uh, does have a lot of wipeouts, Um, and uh, and it's 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 tricky. It's tough, you know. um, uh, Whether to to think like whether the the Bible is uh, is just being hyperbolic, um, uh, or whether you know uh, uh, you know it's 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 unclear. and, uh, and and not uh, proven whether or not any of these uh, um, occurrences, you know, actually factually happened. Um, you know, even you've alluded to the destruction of Jericho, um, which sounds much more uh, historical. Um, but uh, um, the uh, uh, archaeology, at least thus far, has not found um, you know any significant evidence about uh, the, the the conquest of the city of Jericho. Uh, at least not in the way the Bible describes. Um, so you're right. I guess the question then is, you know, um, aside from hyperbole, what does the Torah want us to take from uh, those narratives, from those um, uh, from, from those scenes? And I think that that's, uh, you know, what's the what's the lesson? What's the value that we're supposed to learn from uh, from those from those stories? Um, and that I think is uh, is is open to interpretation. Um, but I appreciate the uh, that insight.
4: Um, this is Rita Ruby. Um, just from everything in your discussion, and a little bit what GD just offered as well, I, I would offer up, um, our daughter had sent us an opinion piece in the New York Times uh, written by the editor-in-chief of Tablet magazine called The Power of Passover During a Plague that I know I found deeply meaningful. And so I had it sitting here, a c- hard copy of it, and just one graph from it. Um, it says, <laughs> that's not me.
1: Yeah, it, okay
4: it says, most Jews throughout history- of- Bell tolls for thee, Rita. Uh, Yeah, right. Most Jews throughout history have not been free, whether from murderous regimes or famines or pandemics. What we have been is devoted to the idea that we deserve to be. And I think the we is not just we Jews, but humankind. The Haggadah's purpose is not, in fact, to present a narrative. It's a how-to guide to finding our own personal liberation. The text of the Haggadah is not a retelling of the liberation story itself but a record of agreements and disagreements among its interpreters because it is not the God-driven part of the story that we should be focused on, but the human-driven one. God will come to help when God comes to help. The question is, what do we do between now and then? I just, that said it all to me.
1: I love that. This is Gary. Okay. What was the... Gary? Sorry. Hold on, hold on one second. David, you're asking what was the name of the article that uh, Rita yeah. said? It's,
4: Rita, it's an shit? opinion piece call, from the New York Times called The Power of Passover During a Plague.
1: Gary.
3: So I just wanted to, um, you know, point out some things that I learned from Rabbi Akiva Tatz, who is um, um, an Orthodox rabbi, also a physician, uh, who um, is a world expert in Jewish medical ethics. And that's one of his things. But he gave a talk about the mystical connection of Pesach. Um, And it relates to actually what uh, Rabbi Luria, uh, the Arizal, uh, talked about it in terms of what Pesach is, right? So it's peh, sach. Pe in Hebrew is mouth, sach is to converse. And the idea that the Zohar introduces is that, that the problem with the enslavement was the restriction on language, the loss of freedom to speak out. That when you're a slave, you can't say the things that you want to say because you are you know, under the restriction of the enslavement and that the purpose for the uh, release, the purpose for freedom for the exodus was to give us the opportunity to speak and to use our language without restriction. And that the, you know, the whole purpose of that is then to create a narrative, to create a spiritual narrative that tells uh, uh, the the world about who we are, and the idea that we our purpose is to in fact tell the world that they must care about others, that they must care about those who are enslaved. They must speak out, uh, you know, about people who cannot speak their own voice, their own mind because of of the restrictions that they live under. So the i and that the the, 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 it's, it's called Galus Hadibur, the 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 um, the restriction, the uh, exile of language, right? That that is the 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 whole issue in the Pesach story is that we need to learn and we need to be able to speak out, even if it means an anarchic, right? I mean to resist the authority that is imposed upon us in order to seek justice, right? That, that, that whole idea of actually as human beings, the one thing that we have that no other organism that we know of has is the capacity to use language to communicate. And that the purpose then of language to communicate is to speak out against injustice and to come together in that communication around that purpose. Right of addressing injustice and then moving from language to action to address injustice in the world.
1: I love that. And, and, it, and it also adds such a, uh, um, a meaningful dimension to the role of Moses, because Moses is a character that, uh, that starts off the story basically unable to speak, uh, and he, you know, through the course of the of the story, like is learns to find his voice uh, and uh, and then, of course, becomes an incredible orator. by by the book of Deuteronomy, where he spends the entire last uh, last well, almost the entire last book with this uh, extraordinary oratory. Right. So the so the the, the movement is um, from being silent to being uh, to being able to, like, communicate your values. I love that. I love that. Um, and to be able to speak out.
5: Rabbi, can you hear me? Yes. Kristen, why don't you just take a moment and tell everybody a little bit about uh, what Risk is and what we're trying to do and how they can come involved and how it has affected you so much.
1: And, and Kristen, maybe start with uh, uh, telling people what uh, the acronym Risk stands for.
2: Sure. Um Risk stands for Richmonders involved in strengthening their communities and it uh Risk is a congregation based community organization uh we're made of 22 congregations in Richmond, Chesterfield and Henrico and um it's racially diverse, um, ethnically diverse, a little bit religiously diverse. We'd like it to be more and definitely socioeconomically diverse. Um, and uh, we identify um, problems in communities and we look for um, for evidence-based uh, solutions. And um, we bring these solutions to our elected officials. Um, and this is only uh, Richmond, Chesterfield and Henrico. So it's only um, local leaders like mayor, uh, city council, um, police chief, um, uh, Commonwealth attorney. Uh, and then there's been others involved in the past, but it, but it's only local here. And we bring the solutions and we ask them um, to make changes because we, we know um, from the way that risk chooses their issues, um, they, they choose it by having um, what they call a, a listening process. They have these house meetings and they're asking members of the congregation, um, what plagues you, what keeps you up at night? And so we know when we elect these issues um, at an assembly called the Community Problems Assembly, we know that the issues we pick um, are, are profoundly affecting um, our community. And uh, and sometimes issues are chosen um, that uh, that maybe some congregations um, can't relate to. Um, I think this year's gun violence issue um, may may be hard for um, for some Temple Bethel congregants to relate to, um, but maybe not. I mean, I, I haven't asked you all for your stories. Um, but even if, we're, if we can't personally uh, relate to each and every issue, we can stand in solidarity uh, with other people, with other congregations, knowing that these issues are, are profoundly affecting um, their lives. Um, uh, trying to think what else I could say about risk. Um, does, that, does that help Franklin?
5: Sure, and tell me some of the other things that Risk has been involved with, uh, with uh, jobs, uh, that type of thing, with education, uh, that type of thing, and go on to that.
2: Yes, um, I have. I wasn't a, a, a part of all of those um, campaigns, but um, I do know that um, Risk has been involved um, in bringing a reading mastery program to schools um, that have. Uh, a lower um, reading um, level at the third grade level. Um, they were concerned about the school to prison pipeline. So they established a, a reading mastery program in um, certain school systems. Um, they also um, with, I'm not sure if it was VCU, um, but they created a, um, a jobs. Yes. Um, um, Availability for several people that were um, and maybe up to I think it was somewhere between 20 and 60, 60 more, um, but they were able to get jobs at, at the um, at the hospital and these were people who are low income and in need of jobs. Um, they established the affordable housing trust fund uh, helped establish the affordable housing trust fund um, they helped. Um, fund the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. They helped establish an eviction diversion program. Um, I'm trying to think what else has been. um, Those are the ones that I know about in recent years. Uh, Trauma.
5: You can talk about trauma in Chesterfield.
2: Yeah. Trauma-informed care, I believe, has been implemented in some of the um, Chesterfield schools. I'm not sure um, if it got established in Richmond. Um, but they, uh, and one of the things that RISC does that, that I've appreciated is that they don't, uh, they don't really, uh, they don't abandon an issue just because we dealt with it one year, they continue to monitor the issue. And when they've done what they feel they can, um, then they just put it in monitoring mode and they just watch it. And if there's anything that comes up um, that they need to do in another year, they can. Um, but they don't just abandon um, issues, they do continue to, to work on them. Like this year, I think is the third, fourth, fifth year they've been working on affordable housing. Um, any other questions I can answer for uh, Franklin or anyone else about risk?
5: Well, uh, Christian, I just wanna thank you personally for stepping forward and accepting a leadership role in risk, uh, it's important for yourself personally, it's important for Temple Beth-El to be represented and it's important for the people that we try to work with and to help. And it's really been nice to see you mature and grow into
1: this. Just just uh, one one additional question, Chris, a follow-up. If we wanted to get involved, how could we get involved?
2: At this point, um, if you'd like to attend, we're having some Zoom meetings um, with um, I believe city council members and also with, um, her name is um, Aviles, Ms. Aviles, um, related to the gun violence issue. But these are all meetings that are gonna happen over Zoom. So if you, um, if you want to be a part of that meeting, you can um, send me your email address and you can be invited over Zoom to be a part of these meetings. Um, I-
5: we could put it in the weekly Shabbat. It's very easy just to have a little sentence on weekly Shabbat. On with Zoom and how to uh, to uh, go into it, how to log into it.
2: Uh, well, yes, but but Emily Small, the lead organizer, she's she's gonna send out. She sends out these um, invitations to anybody who's interested. And I, I sometimes I would rather these things come from her because the emails tend to be uh, more complete. Um, but if anybody needs me to forward them the information, I I'm definitely happy to do that. Um, the other way to get involved. uh, This is a I I don't know that I can talk about, but we do have a uh, a congregation drive coming up in terms of investing financially. But I know with today being Yom Tov, I'm I'm not I'm not going to steer in the direction of talking about money. I don't think that's appropriate. Um, But getting involved in a financial way would be appreciated. Is that okay that I said that? Sure. Okay, Um, and if you'd like to contact me more about that. Also, please, um, please do. Uh, I'm trying to think of what other way. Um, uh, So I have a team um, at Temple Bethel right now. I have 10 people on my team, which is the required number of people that I, um, that are under me. Um, If you're interested in becoming a team leader, which you would create your own team and you would talk to the members of your team about what's going on, keep them informed. Um, Next year, we will be adding a second team leader at Temple Bethel, And I would love to have even more people involved um, and coming to these assemblies and, and coming to the research meetings and um being a part of of risk thank you
1: Other um other comments questions thoughts about
6: you know uh we talk a lot uh i hear that quoted a lot about not oppressing the widow and the orphan in your midst <clears throat> but isn't Correct me if I'm wrong, in that same chapter, there's a line about I think uh you shall not defraud the worker of their wages or their just their wages shall be paid fairly. Yep. Hmm. I was thinking about that because I've noticed the last three or four days. <clears throat> I have a I try to Uh, As difficult as it is, I try to listen to a little bit of Fox News every day just to keep up with people whose opinions are different from mine. And I've noticed in the conservative news and talk radio the last three or four days, there's a sudden shift to uh, talking about easing up restrictions so people can go back to work and in the back of my mind that feels a lot like in order to save the economy uh for the wealthy they're they're willing to sacrifice uh the well-being of the average worker and i'm i'm kind of concerned about that um because unfortunately on the federal level they haven't taken the the epidemic as seriously as I feel they needed to. And I just see, I won't be surprised if after this weekend uh, there's gonna be a big push uh, in certain sectors of this country to start easing the restrictions and allowing non-essential people uh, to do frontline jobs. Because I, I, honestly believe there's uh, business owners and corporations who, who frankly don't care if a few workers get sick, if a few workers contract COVID and die. I put it bluntly. Has, has anyone else noticed that the last few days?
1: I see. I see some heads nodding. You know, I think, uh, Kristen, you have uh, thoughts on that?
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I think, I I think if, mm, yeah, I think people in leadership um, could do more to let others stay home um, that that are non-essential, you know, um, you know, big banks could, obviously um, you know put a put a freeze on mortgages and I mean there's things that can be done in a in a high level leadership way that that don't include people risking their lives um, and you know i I think uh, what you're alluding to is the principle that you know life is is should be the most important thing and I think um as as somebody that's Jewish and as all of us on this call, I think we value human life um, much more than the, than some powers that be. Um, and I think it's important for us to try to live into our values and control what we can control. And I think you know, so if if we're doing things that are preserving life, you know, by protecting those around us, um, then then that's then that's that's what that's what we can do.
1: Yeah, I um, uh, I want to just echo that. I think you know, without um, uh, uh, without trying without veering uh, too much into uh, politics, I'll just stay rooted in the Passover story. That you know that that among the um, among the themes that are present in the Passover story um, and why the oppression of the Israelites is uh, is is so pernicious and um, and I think has such a uh, takes up such a significant space in, in Jewish memory and in Jewish imagination is that what it represents uh, is uh, is is a belief that some people's lives are worth more than other people's lives, uh, and uh, and I think that that's sort of at the heart of the of the oppression, uh, of uh, of, uh, of the Book of Exodus, um, and in our historical memory, um, that uh, that that you know that Jewish lives. Um, are are seen as expendable that uh, there are Hebrew lives in the, in, in exodus uh, the Hebrew lives are expendable the Hebrew lives are inferior than Egyptian lives that slaves lives are are inferior to free people's lives and, and on and on and I think that that you know um, this is the way in which I think this is the bridge between uh, exodus and Genesis um, is that Genesis um, starts with the premise that all human life um, is, uh, is 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 Uh, infinitely valuable and equally precious um we're all created in the image of god we all uh, come from the same father and mother as it were uh and um and so the um the, the heresy pharaoh's original sin um is to is to say you know this group of people they're different than us they're not as important as us let's make sure that we can control them and you know we'll we'll um so that so that they're not they're no longer threatening to us. I think that that's the original sin in the Exodus story. Um, and then so much of the story, you know, the, the continued oppression of the Israelites and then ultimately of the Egyptians um, is based on uh, a, a leader who is much more concerned with his own hold on power uh, than he is with the well-being of, uh, of, of even his own people, much less um, this foreign population. Um, that that he's come to uh, to dominate and exploit, um, and uh, and I think that that is among the uh, insights of the Exodus story is what happens when you have uh, when you have leaders who are much more concerned with their own welfare, their own sort of political interests, uh, their own power, uh, and, uh, and 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 no longer have a sense of accountability uh, to and responsibility for the people under their un, under their care. Um, uh, and so, you know, to, to, David's point, I think that that, um, you know, that that's, that's not just a right now issue. Um, what Exodus reveals is that that is, um, an eternal challenge, um, that the Jewish people are, are supposed to be called to, um, uh, to, to testify against. Um, so why don't we, um, why don't we start moving to wrap up there? Kristen, any final thoughts?
2: Um, can I, can I read something that I found at the conclusion of a, of a a Agadah? Sure. Okay. Um, it's by BM Cohen. It says the Hebrew word Agadah means the telling it is through the stories that we tell. Okay. Sorry, my son. What? I'll be right there. Oh, I see. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I'm sorry. I apologize. Okay. I'm going to start again. Um, The Hebrew word Agadah means the telling. It is through the stories that we tell that we build our understanding of the world, of who we are, of the nature of the truth. The very identities that each of us hold as ourselves are really a collection of personal stories that we believe about ourselves. Through the experience of Pesach, we add to our personal narrative the story of the redemption of our people. We hold in our deepest heart of hearts the truth that the miracle of the redemption from suffering is possible for each and every one of us because it happened to us, to me, in the Egypt all those years ago.
1: Oh, I love that so much. That's so good. Where is that from?
2: That is from, um, uh, it's from uh, an agada that uh, BM Cohen writes at the conclusion, um, and he called this portion um, Zison Pesach Beautiful. or Zison? Zeis? I don't know how to say Zisen, it.
1: Zison, Zison, it's, it's Yiddish, it's like a happy. Okay. Although my auto, when I was writing uh, Zison Pesach uh, to someone the other day, my autocorrect changed it to Sodden, a Sodden <laughs> Pesach, and I was like, I, 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 was, I was here for it. Um, so, um, and I'll I'll um, I'll I'll conclude also with um with with the reading because um, both of us mentioned uh, moments over the past couple of days where we've been ugly crying, mm-hmm. uh, and I imagine that that uh, for many of us um, that there there have been moments of uh, pain uh, and 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 fear as well as joy uh, so far this Pesach, um, and so this is uh, also from my book. It's called uh, the Fullness of Time and Tears. When Pharaoh's daughter discovers Moses in the basket, the first thing she notices is that he's crying. In Here I Am, author Jonathan Safran Foer asks, what was Moses crying about? Was he crying for himself, out of hunger or fear? Was he crying for his people, their bondage, their suffering? Or were they tears of gratitude? Perhaps Pharaoh's daughter didn't hear him crying because he wasn't crying until she opened the the wicker basket. Or maybe, for suggests, Moses was crying for all three reasons, the pain, the sadness, and the gratitude, all at once. Right now, you are the sum of all your experiences up till this moment. You couldn't be who you are without the good and the bad, the pleasure and the pain, the successes and the failures. All of it was necessary to bring you to this moment. Even pain and sadness are blessings in their own ways. Those experiences, when they occur, may bring us to tears. Don't allow your tears only to be expressions of agony. They can and should also be expressions of gratitude. For today's pain helps you become the person you will be tomorrow. So I'm, I'm just so grateful, Kristen, for uh, your help in, in facilitating this conversation and for uh, all of the insight that uh, you offer to us and the inspiration. And I'm so grateful for the rest of uh, the congregation for being involved in in this discussion. I hope that maybe um, you have uh, something new if you're having a Seder tonight to bring to your Seder tonight uh, and that um, this can be a a Passover in which we see ourselves in the story and and help bring ourselves and our families and and our community uh, closer to redemption.
0: This has been Socially Distant, Spiritually Close with Rabbi Michael Knopf. I hope that this episode has helped you find a little faith and hope, enrichment and uplift during this complex and challenging time. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. Please also rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice so that others will have an easier time finding us and joining in the conversation. Socially Distant, Spiritually Close is produced by Dr. Gillian Frank. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Our cover art was designed by Judith Russian using a photograph by Miriam Aniel. I have been your host, Rabbi Michael Knopf. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.